if you want a building on the side of the 405 with that blow up Kawasaki, like if that's the kind of business you want to own, you might be headed there. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Happy Thursday morning. This is the Tropical MBA Podcast. This is the podcast with the business end of lifestyle businesses, building a location-independent enterprise and allow you financial freedom, wealth, world travel. Speaking of wealth and world travel, the boss man. Is that the first time you said that? Was that rehearsed? I hadn't heard that version yet. I came up with that off the top of my head. On this week's episode, the boss man and I are talking about going on an entrepreneurial quest. I've been really, I mean, partly last week, Ian, you talked about the good old days of the business, and I started to think back to what that was like and what we sacrificed to grow this thing. And it's kind of cool when you go around to entrepreneurs and you ask them, what was it like that first six months when you were going down the runway and you were trying to pull up on that yoke before the runway ran out and your little plane goes off the end? You can often hear some really cool stories, and we're going to share some of those stories on this week's episode. All right, so Kyle from Michigan wrote us an email and he said, you've said numerous times on the podcast to avoid SaaS, with some caveats, of course. As a software developer, would you recommend still avoiding SaaS as a first startup attempt and stick with products? Or should I stick with what I know? In your experience, what are the pros and cons of software versus product as a first attempt? Thanks, Kyle from Michigan. Look, I don't want to come out and say you shouldn't do a software business if you're a software developer. It doesn't make any sense to me to go and learn how to become an industrial designer. I I think fundamentally, Ian, what this comes down to is solving problems and not getting off on the good idea Glenn track. So the good idea Glenn track, remember that guy we met at the meetup who was telling us about like his space age washer and dryer thing? It was going to take him like six years to develop and he needed venture capital and all this kind of stuff. I don't think that's a great choice for your first startup, something that's going to take you six to 12 months in a dark room to build. Yeah, the idea is to try and build something as fast as possible and get validation, especially if this is your first rodeo. Yeah, I do remember that guy. And he would like only tell us like half of what he was doing or something. And we had to sign NDAs. Don't do that. So Kyle, you know, run this thought experiment. I think if you look around at successful SaaS projects, ask yourself, could you do it? Could you hack it together? with a combination of WordPress, some existent plugins, some email, some... A pen, a a physical pen and a piece of paper. Gravity Forms, a VA who works the 12 hours that you don't work. I heard a story from Dan Norris over at WP Curve that the first two months of the business, he went to sleep with his iPhone next to his head. You want to talk about an entrepreneurial quest? Absolutely. Is it worth it to figure out if a business that could change your life, you know, is it worth it sleeping next to your phone for a couple months? I'll go for it. When we were first starting the business, Dan, it was only uh, basically me in the United States and I was taking sales calls, but I had to go to China to check product. I turned off my phone and of course it has voicemail. And so I, I would like call into my phone in the middle of the night several times, get the voicemails and then call people back as if I just missed the call. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, I just, oh, good thing you left a message. What can, how can I help you? It's like three o'clock in the morning in China. I think the fundamental point is building a business means having something that you know how to sell. 
right? You need to build a business that you can sell to others. And going into your development cave for six months is generally just a sign of what Stephen Pressfield calls the resistance. Ask yourself, can you sell your SaaS to people? Can you get commitments by a PowerPoint mock-up? Can you put it together with rubber bands and virtual assistants? That's what I would suggest. You're at this wonderful spot, Kyle, where you can choose what you want to do. So I would choose something that you can execute quickly. In fact, I will reference an episode of Startups for the Rest of Us where the aforementioned Dan Norris was on. And it's a beautiful example of this where he basically said, hey, I wouldn't do anything that you can't get off the ground in like 24 to 48 hours with hacked together. And he got challenged on that notion. And it was like, well, what if it's like strategically impossible to do that? He would say, well, if it's your first startup, I just wouldn't do that. And I thought, what a great sentiment. Yes, like there's a gazillion things in this world you can do to provide value to others and to make money. Don't choose one that involves the dev cave. That's the geek version of the Batman cave for six months. You know, I think a point that you just brought up there, which is uh, maybe more important than, you know, what should you be hacking together is what should you be selling or what can you sell? So definitely don't hack anything together that you don't have a sales channel for. And if you don't have any sales channels, don't start hacking anything together because you're not going to be able to sell it. So go out there, sell something first, meet somebody that can sell something for you, develop some kind of partnership and then start hacking away. Hey, boss man, speaking of voicemails, we got one from Chris from chicfountains.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can uh, see the number and some other options at tropicalmba.com slash voicemail. Dan, Ian, love the show. Thanks for uh, all the great content you guys put out every week. It's uh, really motivating to hear, uh, honestly, your, your ups and your downs. I'm sorry to say that. But anyways, my name is Chris Mercer. I uh, own and operate chicfountains.com, C-H-I-C fountains.com. Uh, I represent a, a very good uh, artist friend of mine. And uh, anyways, there is a company that owns a crap ton of malls throughout the world. They are currently at the beginning stages of investing billions of dollars and renovating each one of their properties. I'm going to call corporate and try to get through the phone gauntlet and try and get in touch with somebody that might have a, a say-so in the renovations and talk fountains with them. Anyways, regardless, I was wondering if you guys had any pointers for me before I called them. I don't have any contacts within the company, so I can't leverage any kind of family or friend support uh, with this effort, unfortunately. What say you, uh, you guys, the Cold Call Kings? Thanks a lot. Later. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for, for calling the show. You know, if you want to hear some pure cold call hustle advice, there is this episode deep in the haystack of TMBA archives called Six Ways to Get Laid or Get Paid. And I think in some ways we were doing a lot more cold calling back in those days. So maybe that advice is a little bit closer to that experience. And I still think that stands up. But a couple things sort of jumped out at me while I was listening to this. Is By the way, I was trying to think of the time, Dan, when we were getting paid or getting laid. And I'm just not, it's just not coming to me when that might have been in the Nothing. last seven years. No. So I'm not even sure still what that episode might have been about. <laughs> <laughs> Building a business. It's like being an architect, Seth Godin says in, in Startup School, the, the wonderful podcast. And in fact, Ian, I think in some ways, you know, Seth Godin is the master at articulating things cleanly, densely, and elegantly. In some ways, like that podcast says what everything we've tried to say in 250 episodes in, in about 16. Startup School. Startup School, yeah. Just go listen to that. You'll be good to go. You know, something to think about if you're just getting started, you know, why would you select this opportunity? I asked myself a few questions. You know, this is a business that depends on pure hustle. 
right? And I'm, I would ask myself, what's the flywheel potential? You know, if you do get yourself into some of these major contractors, what's going to happen when the next RFP comes along? Are you going to have an inside relationship with that person that they're going to select you for years over years? How do you suspect that you're going to have that edge so that all the hustle you put in upfront in order to contact these very hard to contact people are going to continue to do business with you? I also like to ask myself, are there any complementary benefits to this? You know, when you walk away six to 12 months later and the one big account that you finally got into and flew around to, they happen to burn you because they have no loyalty because it's really just a middle manager dealing with you and that's not the decision maker. What are you going to walk with? Are you going to walk with an audience? Are you going to walk with a skill set? So I would ask myself those things as well or some kind of market competence that you didn't start with. Finally, just because it's a big marketplace doesn't necessarily mean it's good. I mean, I can look at a lot of like big growing marketplaces. And I think this is, you know, to circle back to what Seth Godin was saying, you get to choose at the beginning, you know, what kinds of customers you want to develop. And I think that that's something that we learned early on in the game by both we've done large corporate projects and we've done consumer projects. And with both of those customer groups, we realize, hey, those aren't really the customers we want to be developing and working with over the next five years. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I also agree, Dan, with you saying, you know, if you want to go sell something, like, do you really want it to be fountains? And a couple of red flags here in this call, Chris, is you said you've got a buddy, a very talented buddy that does these fountains. And I think that that's great. That's a, that's a connection that you've made. But how hard would it be to replicate that connection with the product that you really felt invested in and that you really had connections in selling? You know, how hard would it be to identify that other project? The second red flag that I want to point out here is one from my personal experience. You're talking about an opportunity that exists in your mind, not necessarily in the buyer's mind. And the opportunity that you're talking about here is like they're doing these renovations and you think maybe you can sell them this cool artwork. Well, let me tell you, Chris, the people that are doing the renovations, in my mind, they've probably got a million different things that they want to put up on the wall. And the last thing on their list is a fountain. If I had to guess, you're trying to sell them something that they don't even know that they want or need, or they possibly don't even want. And that's that's really an uphill battle. I can tell you a story of our personal experience doing that. When we first started selling cab furniture, we thought right away, we got to be in all these big brands. We got to be in this magazine. We got to be in this big box retailer. So we started approaching these people and no one was interested. Specifically, I remember this catalog, it was called Frontgate. We sent them samples and it, it was an uphill battle because we were approaching them. When they approach you, that's when you start to make the big sales, I think. And that's when it starts to get easier on you. You approaching them with a project like this, it's going to be tough work, buddy. Yeah, and I think it makes sense to ask yourself, like, what's the hypothetical end of the value chain? So, I mean, pushing down the value chain in the case of fountains would be developing a brand of fountains, if you, if you can't ever find yourself there, or on the other end, it would be a factory, which is probably not the direction most people listening to this podcast want to go. So I always think about that, Ian, like theoretically, where, when are you going to end up at the end of the value chain, owning the brand, owning the audience, the marketing message, and not just a middleman trying to move around cash between, because that, that's basically a job. Right? You might get a couple pops here and there, and that's cool, but that's not a flywheel. That's not a business that's going to continue to run for five or ten years, and we're at the moment where we can choose our hustle. So if you can see a way to have some kind of ownership in that brand, I mean, to be frank, if your friend is always going to own that brand and then your opportunity is merely to sell something, I think you can find a lot easier, more greased up, 
and way more fun sales channels than trying to deal with middle managers at giant multinational corporations. We kind of know how this ends up with the with the fountains too, Chris. I think, and it's it's a big warehouse on the side of the four hundred five with a blow up fountain on the roof. <laughs> I mean, that's that's where this might end up for you. Hey, Chris, please don't take our word for this. We're just talking off the cuff about some theories. No skin in the game when it comes to giving advice. Feel free to you know drop us a line. Let us know how it's going, and let us know if we can give you some more specific help. All right, Ian. This week we're going to talk about. The entrepreneurial quest or the hero's quest that entrepreneurs tend to engage in. Run this experiment. You know, go and ask any successful entrepreneur, you know, what was it like when you were first starting their business and their, their eyes will get a little glassy and they'll, they'll start to tell you about all the sacrifices that they made. And it's often the case, Ian, that the times in our lives that challenge us the most are the ones that we look back on and remember the most fondly. And so this episode is all about looking back and understanding that first six months of taking off on a new project or a new business, the struggle that it is, and how valuable that can end up being in the narrative of your life. So Ian, there's, there's two metaphors that I think of when I think of this, this entrepreneurial quest. I think of at the beginning, you start to like run down the runway. And you have to get enough speed before you can pull up on that yoke to get off the runway. And to be honest, like, you've never really flown a plane before. You don't really know how long the <laughs> runway is. You don't know what V1 right. is. You don't know when you're going to pull up on that stick. It's, it can be terrifying. Hey, hey, more the reason, Dan, to, like, to set yourself up for some success here. It's like you don't want to build your runway on the side of a cliff necessarily, right? Like it's like, let's go build it out in the desert. So if I don't take off and, and I run out of money, I'm not going to drown or something like that. Start on the salt flats. You know, you said something to me last week when we were trying to make a big decision in our lives and you were saying, you know, I don't want to be the guy in five years who didn't or I don't want to be the guy who's still doing X, five years from now. And I thought that that was interesting. It reminded me of the corner office test, Ian. Remember we used to talk about that? Like, you know, there was this one moment in my life when I looked down the hall and I saw the corner office and I, and I remember that, hey, like best case scenario, that's where you're going. In a good case scenario, that's where you'll be in that corner office. Is, is that what you want? And I remember just thinking, what a simple thought experiment and what a horrifying thought experiment for me at the time. Yeah, that's right. I mean, just think, like, if you want a building on the side of the 405 with that blow-up Kawasaki, like, if that's the kind of business you want to own, like, that you might be headed there. I think, Dan, most of our regrets are based on things that we didn't do, not the things that we did do, you know? And so, like, when I look back at starting a business, like, if we didn't start a business at that time, like, looking back, I would have been so disappointed in us. The perfect storm was happening. Like, we had the motivation. We had the time. Our brains were small enough at that time where we didn't think anything bad was going to happen to us. We didn't have a bunch of fancy expensive cars that we had to pay for you know so it was like a really a, a perfect time and I think when I look back in my life and most of the things that I did do that I regret that they're much less than the things that I didn't do okay Ian so we framed up the four parts of how we see these journeys often working out and the first element of the hero's quest is a short time frame when we talk about building businesses we talk about them in terms of five and ten year visions and the thousand day principle you know it often takes 
three years to make back the income you were enjoying at your corporate job through your personal business. But when we're talking about these hero's journeys, I'm really thinking of like a three to six month time frame, that moment on the runway when you're doing things and you just have no idea if they're going to work and you're just running as fast as you can and you're just eye of the tiger the whole time. I mean, it's a, it's a type of intensity that you might not be able to keep up over the course of five years unless you're Mark Cuban. This is also the thing, Dan, I think about building businesses that that's so sexy, at least to me, is like I have more fun memories of the first six months of our business than I do probably the next six years. I mean, we've had some like really interesting milestones and conversations in our business, Dan, but like the intensity that was happening in those first six months was amazing. You know, a lot of people get addicted to that, really, you know? And and I think that there's people that will admit, like, oh, I'm the guy that, like, starts a business. I'm the guy that, like, runs a business. I'm the guy that takes a business to the next level. I definitely think that there's, like, some kind of drug-like effect of starting a business. Like, you get very high... Uh, very fast, and then you start a business. Well, I think what's amazing, I, me and you have been retooling our level of excitement for our businesses, I think, over the past six months. And maybe that's part of the reason we're talking about this a little bit. Is like, I've been really enthused lately and, and looking at these stories. And one of the things that really strikes me is how just normal, smart, cool people can quite literally change their lives in six months. And I think you kind of have to like manufacture that, right? A bunch of times in your business. And that's what we do. And like you can do it with new product launches. You can do it with like pivots in your business, but you kind of have to like remanufacture this like magic time. And I think that we've done that a bunch of times in our business. Let's talk about the three elements. These are the last three points here. They're kind of the frame up of like how one might do this and how we're looking at it. So the first step is, is something clicks. There's a turning point. And generally, this, this is a conscious turning point. This isn't like a retrospective one. Like, for example, I remember the morning when I read the four-hour work week, when I was on page 90, I got on the phone and called like three or four friends. One of them was you. And I said, you need to read this effing book. Like, now. I'm serious. I don't care if you're on aisle 16 or Ralph's. I want you to get out of there. I want you to buy this book. And I need you to read it because we're going to talk about it tonight. And it was from that moment on that I realized that I could literally write down what I wanted and then manufacture it for myself. So this is related to some of the ways we were answering the questions earlier, Ian, is that a lot of people will take opportunities that are ready at hand. They're sort of the ones that they feel like are just there. But as Seth Godin tries to teach us, as we're trying to say, you can develop your own opportunities and they don't need to be within existent scripts. And I think it was the four-hour work week that really pulled together all these random thought strings in my head and say, hey man, why don't you just write it down? Why don't you do your dreamline? You know, listen to our episode on Dreamlines 3.0. And why don't you just be honest with yourself? And when you can look at that and say, yeah, I want that. I want that bad. Like that was my turning point. My turning point in starting the business, Dan, was uh, I got out of college and I started working my first corporate job with you. The story goes <laughs> that you were my boss. It wasn't that corporate. Yeah. Just because I wore an Oxford doesn't mean it was, it was That's corporate, true. buddy. Minus you and maybe one one other person or something. Like I, I started working for people that weren't as smart as me. And that was like a real turnoff for me. And that could have just been the place that I was working, obviously. And it could just be that I set the bar very low. Like for me, like I, I did the corner office test, which is what we talked about before. Like I I saw the guy in the corner office and like I saw what his life looked like and I was like nah that's not good enough like that that's not gonna cut it like I didn't go through all this work in college and getting all pumped up and excited to be an adult to like show up to this 
I was like, this, this, this is not how I see it playing out for me. And so that was really my turning point. And as I said, I turned to you and I said, Dan, we got to do something about this, man. We got to, we got to blow this taco stand. We got to make something work for us. I think you were one of those thought strings in my head, boss, man. I remember, you know, the four hour work week helped to to put some kind of system in place, like a mental OS, to deal with people like you. What's up with this crazy boss man character who sees things, like, I remember you seeing, like, one day we were at the gas station and you were pumping gas and you were like, you know, if you just put this thing at the end of the gas pump, and I'm thinking to myself, who thinks like that? You know what I mean? <laughs> I, just, I use the gas pump. That's how I roll. And, and so that, that was, like, my introduction into thinking, like, hey, wait, like, you can actually change the gas pump. You know, you can change the world around you. And I don't think I was raised that way. Like, that, that, that's the way you can roll. Yeah, I think that was kind of my mindset back then was like, and it still is today. And I think that you have a lot of it too, which is like you affect and you can change the environment around you. And that's very powerful. And put yourself in a situation where you can have that kind of impact. I do want to say this about turning points though, Dan. I think a lot of people that are looking to start a business, like it's a point of frustration because they just don't have this turning point like we had. They're like, well, I'm not young. I'm not in the office. I'm not this frustrated. You know what I mean? Like life is pretty good and I think like that kind of complacency like it there's a problem because it doesn't breed these kind of turning points so I think what you have to do and this is difficult is you really have to uproot yourself I don't know if that means going on like a spiritual retreat. I don't know if that means like moving to another city, getting rid of all your friends. Like you have to make environmental changes consciously to create this turning point. This turning point does not happen on its own. You do this. You know what I mean? Generally, it means getting really pissed off at somebody. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Competitor, a boss, some evil person. The number two frame-up of this entrepreneurial quest, this hero's quest, is that our hero gives up on the real world. So this turning point is so profound that you give up on the real world. So did you see who won the Oscars last night? No. Are you coming to the game on Saturday? No. Are you going to so-and-so's party? No. Aren't you appalled that the president did that thing last week? Nope. Are you going to vote? Nope. Were you compelled by those realistic life paths presented at the Career Summit Conference last week? No. Sometimes you need to forget about the real world to build yourself <laughs> a new one. And I think you see this a lot. It's like this, this narrow-minded, like once you kind of get your mindset on it, you're like a Rottweiler. It's the jaws are on and you're running down the runway. Yeah, listen to the way that Mark Cuban talks. Like, take a play from that guy's book. Like, he's got like three things that he's focused on in life, and he doesn't pay a lot more attention to anything outside of that. And I think that that's kind of what it takes, especially when you're getting going. Like, you have to have like silence around you, almost like a fight club type of situation, right? Like, you have to turn off the outside world so you can focus solely on this thing, but have an endpoint to it. You know, don't just not have any friends for ten years. Like, just do a little, (laughs) do a little six month no friend experiment, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you. I remember you had all these cool cars and you had like snap-on wrench kits and everything and you just got rid of everything. It's that kind of sacrifice. It's like, you know, I got rid of all these time-expensive hobbies. It's part of the reason I, I didn't bother learning to scuba dive or surf or all these things. It's like, yeah, that's cool. Surfing's really cool. Like being out in the ocean for three hours a day is great if you got a bunch of money in the bank. But it's not great if you want to build a a future full of financial freedom. So no, instead, I'll take up weightlifting, which only takes 30 minutes a day. 
And that way I can focus more of my energy on something that's certainly going to take a lot of it. Yeah, I think you gave up golf, yeah. right? Because that was like a major event. It was like an all-day Saturday thing. And it's like, well, if you only have two days a week to work on your new business because you're going to your job all week, I can't spend one of it playing golf for sure. So you gave up golf and I gave up cars. Yeah, and by the way, these are really wimpy things to be giving up in the, the grand life. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody gave up beer. Did you notice that? We did do that little experiment that one time. Sometimes you, you do have to cut back on going out with your friends. You know, part of what this giving up in the real world means is that you stop being concerned about being so agreeable. You're going to piss people off. There's going to be some collateral damage. Not everybody's going to be pumped off that you're not going to be at the baby shower this weekend, but you're just not going to be there. And you don't care because you're on the runway. At some point, you know you're going to have to pull on that yoke. And if the plane doesn't go up, you might be back in the job tearing at the corner office. So, I mean, it really does, in, in, in my mind, come down to this stuff sometimes, these types of decisions. The third quality of the Hero's Quest, Ian, is that our hero identifies and overcomes a looming obstacle. That could be an unsupportive family. It could be an evil boss. It could be a pesky marketplace, a malevolent competitor, or worst of all, an incompetent Chinese factory. <laughs> <laughs> your overcoming your obstacle can't be your family or your friend. That was the last part. All right, fair enough. <laughs> that's, that's giving up on the real world. Like You actually have to overcome an obstacle in the business, something that's holding you back from this business. Let me just say it. You went through some real shit when we started this business. It wasn't all roses and everything. I mean, there was some real jealousy at our last company that you really took the full force of the brunt of it because I was in Vietnam and, and the Philippines and stuff, and you were back home dealing with former colleagues who were jealous of the opportunity that you had created for yourself. Why don't you just bring us into that world a little bit? Can you take us into your pain cave for a couple minutes? <laughs> you know, I don't think about it much these days, but yeah, at the time it was like very draining. So basically, you know, we were like sharing an office and it was the company that we split out from. There was this dude that like was seriously angry at the opportunity that we had built for ourselves when he probably should have been angry about the opportunity that he hadn't built for himself. He took it as a personal front and basically tried to make my life hell. And in some ways he did make my life hell. I think the thing, for me in that situation was I always had my eye on the prize, right? I always envisioned like pulling up on the plane and taking off that runway. Like there was no way that I was going to be stopped from doing that. And I like realized that this was a trap. Like I really did. I said fighting with this dude, arguing with this dude is not going to get me to where I want to be. Where I want to be is where we are right now, Dan, where we've got a business, things are going well, we're traveling, we're podcasting, all this stuff. Like that's what I wanted to be. I didn't want to be fighting with that guy. So yeah, put up with a lot of shit. Didn't really like it. Lost some sleep over it. But in the end, like it was a good experience because that guy's still a dirtbag and we got this business. So keep your eye on the prize. I'll tell you what, man. I had a lot of advice coming in from, quote, wise minds. And a lot of times the advice that you'll receive from the mentors and the people in your life is self-serving. And a lot of times they're not going to necessarily know that about the advice and they're going to think that they have your best interests at heart. And, you know, of course, we've overcome a lot of obstacles in this process and there's still many more to go, I hope. One of the big ones for me back then was understanding that it wasn't going to necessarily be the person right down the street or the person that I work for or the person at the local entrepreneurs meetup who is really going to be able to tell me the thing that is going to get me to the next level. And at some point, you just got to be like, it's my hand on the yoke. It's a prize. It's a vision. It's a vapor. It's only in my mind. You can't describe that to someone else and necessarily have them tell you precisely what you need to do. So that's a message also to everyone who listens to advice on this show. At some point, you know, it's your plane. It's your yoke. 
and good luck on the pullback. Ian, there's a lot of great examples of these Heroes Quests, these entrepreneurial quests out there on the internet. We're going to link to a bunch of them, especially some of our favorites, like ones from Mark Cuban, Anthony Bourdain, Richard Branson, Felix Dennis, um, some famous examples in literature. They'll all be linked to at tropicalmba.com slash quest. And also, if you would like to share something from your journey, actually, this is one of my favorite questions in conversation, Ian, is to ask people about what they did at the very beginning of their business, the sacrifices they made. And it's always a great conversation starter. Yeah, it's always great, man. I can't remember the last time I talked to somebody that didn't have an exciting story to the beginning of their business. It's always generally somewhat epic. Yeah, and here's to identifying some future excitement in our lives, boss man. I'm pretty pumped up about what the future holds, and so hopefully we got a few more quests in us. This one, again, is at tropicalmba.com slash quest. We'll be back, as always, next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.